Russian Podcast. My name is Kristen Godsey, and I am a professor of Russian and East European Studies at the University of Pennsylvania. I'm also the author of several books on women's rights and socialism and post-socialism, probably most notably Why Women Have Better Sex Under Socialism and Other Arguments for Economic Independence, which I am happy to announce, is coming out in the United States in paperback on March 3rd and is coming out in a Polish translation on March 4th. So that's kind of exciting. I'm also really delighted to be traveling to Wellington, New Zealand for the New Zealand Festival where I will be actually on stage with one of my kind of feminist economist heroes, uh, a woman named Marilyn Waring, who was one of the first people to really question the way that GDP excludes the value that women produce outside of the formal labor market, so basically looking at the value that women produce at home through their unpaid labor. And I am going to spend this episode talking about the last five episodes that I recorded as I read Alexandra Kolontai's very important short story, The Loves of Three Generations. So this is going to be a bit of an ad lib. Um, I don't have a prepared text. This is one of the things that I feel like I should say at this point. If you've listened this far into the podcast, you may have already realized this, but I am trying to get away from the written page. I'm a writer. I see myself as a writer anyway, and I really think long and hard about the things that I write. And so one of the things that I wanted to do with this podcast was to kind of free myself from the written page and just ad lib, give myself the opportunity to talk openly and without structure and kind of stream of consciousness and give my thoughts and reactions to these incredible works of Alexandra Kolontai. So the reading that I'm doing in this podcast is primarily from obviously English translations of Kolontai's work and this commentary and other commentaries that I've done on this podcast are basically me kind of I guess freestyling my intellectual thoughts about what these stories or essays mean and how they're relevant to us today in the 21st century particularly since it's now 2020. So I am just going to launch in and give you, I don't know, kind of a first impression, various impressions of The Loves of Three Generations, which I think, as I've mentioned before, is a story that got Alexandra Kollontai into a ton of trouble with her colleagues. In many ways, it may have been, you know, the, the nail in the coffin of her exile because she doesn't really, at the end of the story, come down on any sort of condemnation of the Genya character. She sort of thinks or postulates or wonders maybe possibly that in the future, the young women will be much more, you know, enamored of their work and enamored of their political leaders than they will of their husbands. I've been teaching a college in the United States for almost 20 years, which is a long time. And I've also had the pleasure of teaching German uh, college students as well. So I've also taught outside of the United States. And I will say that the thing that always strikes me when I read The Loves of Three Generations, and I've read it you know, almost every year, probably at least once for the last 20 years in some context, is that what Genya lives, Genya, if you remember, is the daughter, 
So she is sleeping with her mother's husband, who is her stepfather. And, you know, basically she doesn't think that it's that big of a deal because they're just having sex and her mother doesn't really have sex with her husband anymore. She's always so busy and it doesn't really mean anything and they're not in love with each other. And so she just didn't think that her mother would care. And obviously her mother, Olga Sergeyevna, in the story is like super upset about the idea that her daughter is sleeping with her husband, which, you know, I can imagine a lot of listeners out there might understand. I mean, jealousy is a very strong emotion. And Colin Ty thought that eventually we might be able to overcome jealousy as an emotion. But a hundred years later, I think many of us are still in its throes. So Genya the character who's this young woman and and this last episode that i recorded which is the final part of the story where the character alexander kolontai we assume that the narrator is alexander kolontai actually meets with jenya the daughter most of the story is kolontai reading a letter from olga sergeyevna and then meeting olga sergeyevna who is jenya's mother and then at the very end of the story kolontai gets to meet with jenya the daughter And Genya basically says, look, you know, I'm a really busy person. I have so much going on in my life. There's no way that I have any time whatsoever to fall in love. So I have sex and it's great. And I meet these guys and it's, you know, it's no big deal. And I don't know why my mother is freaking out about it. I don't know why she thinks I'm immoral because I sleep with men that I don't love. And I have to say that, so on the one hand, as I said, like I've been teaching university for a really long time. And I think that this is really very similar to in the United States, what we call the hookup culture. Um, It's sort of the Tinder culture, I think, which is that, yeah, you meet people and you have physical sex, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have any kind of emotional connection. And Genya, the character in this story, basically thinks, well, that's totally fine because all of my energies and emotions, rather than being funneled into a heterosexual monogamous relationship with a man, are being funneled into work that's really important for the collective. And, you know, she actually goes on and says that she really loves her mother and she loves Vladimir Lenin and she loves Comrade Gerasim, who is like the district secretary. So she has these really close you know, emotional attachments, so to speak, to the leaders in her life, as well as her mother. Uh, And, you know, the men that she sleeps with, it's like, okay, well, they're just bodies. I use them and they pleasure me. And then I move on because I'm just too busy to really bother with this complicated thing called love. It is a lot. It is a lot like what some of my students say the hookup culture is like, which is that you're really busy at university and you've got too much going on in your life. And so you just sort of randomly hook up with people because it's fun. It's it's a good thing to do on the weekend. It releases some tension, but there's no strings attached. And so you can start up on Monday and just have a ordinary life and get on with the business of being a, a good, productive college student or university student. And so I, I have a hard time reading this story because obviously if you read it next to an essay that we read on this podcast earlier, Make Way for Winged Eros, A Letter to Working Youth, Kolontai makes a really important distinction between winged eros and wingless eros. And winged eros is basically the kind of sexual relation or the kind of emotional relation that you have with somebody when you're deeply in love with them. And then there's wingless eros, 
which is the kind of hookup culture that Zhenya is essentially describing in this story. You know, and I think that Kolontai, generally speaking, is in favor of winged eros in the sense that people will fall in love and have sexual relations. And when they fall out of love, they won't be bound to those sexual relations the way that, you know, people are trapped in marriage or whatever. But still, the idea is that you're in love. It's not just a kind of transaction you know, for a selfish sort of like, okay, yes, you know, this is going to be a pleasure for me. But on the other hand, Kolontai spends a lot of time talking about comradely love. And in the short story, there's this wonderful passage where Genia says, look, you know, my mother doesn't mind the fact that Andre, Andre is the stepfather, and I are emotionally close. And, and she doesn't mind that we spend more time together than he spends with her. So why would she make such a big deal about the fact that we just had, like, sex? That's just weird when she doesn't mind all of these other things. I think, you know, Kolontai has this idea of comradely love. And in some ways... Both Zhenya and Andre are communists. Olga Sergeyevna basically criticizes them at one point saying they're not good communists because they're doing this horrible thing to me. But then Kolontai chastises her and says, like, just because they're having some kind of love drama doesn't make them good or bad communists. That's totally irrelevant. And Olga Sergeyevna is very sheepish about it, and she agrees. But the idea, I think, embedded in the winged Eros and the wingless Eros essay, there's a hint that while there is still a lot of important work to be done in building, presumably, a socialist or communist future, then we might have these more comradely relationships that look like the kind of relationship that Genia is having with Andre. And... You know, what complicates this, of course, is that Andre is literally her mother's husband. And so the idea that she would sleep with him and think that it was not a big deal and sort of think that her mom would be okay with that is sort of, you know, perplexing, I think, for Kolontai. But then there's this fascinating moment when Genya says, actually, I'm really disappointed in my mom. Like, I thought she was perfect. I thought she was so liberated and so progressive. And now I realize that she's kind of bourgeois. So there's this really interesting kind of generational incomprehension that's going on, both between Olga Sergeyevna and her own mother and between Olga Sergeyevna and her daughter. And so in some ways, I don't know, I I think that Kolontai is basically really, if you read this story on its face, just saying that morality changes. That as time goes by and as the relations of production on the ground and our economic system evolves, that the way we think about love and romance will change. I mean, that's something that she has said over and over again in her writing, which is that there's a very Marxist kind of teleological view of love, that love evolves to match the economic base. But on the other hand, clearly Kolontai is a little bit uncomfortable with the idea of wingless arrows, of just pure, what she would call promiscuity, which is just sex for sex's sake. And I think it's really interesting here because, you know, Genia and Andre are obviously cohabiting. They're obviously friends. They're close. 
They are comrades in their politics. You know, it comes out towards the end of the story that Zhenya is actually the one who is like cooking and taking care of her mother and stepfather and that she worries that they won't eat properly if she moves into a hostel with some of her girlfriends. So I think that it's it's a really interesting circumstance because this is a, obviously a free relationship. Zhenya uh, and Andre are not in love with each other. They're just comrades. They're having sex out of some kind of mutual affection. Zhenya is not trying to steal Olga Sergeyevna's husband. She, she makes it very clear that she has no interest whatsoever in hooking up permanently with Andre. In fact, she even says that if she spends too much time with him, she actually finds him kind of boring. Is Zhenya somehow a harbinger of the future? I think that that's a really interesting thought because, if, again, if you tie it to the hookup culture on college campuses, certainly Zhenya is in some ways what modern day college sexual relations have become their relationships of sexual convenience because you're on campus and you're young and you're unattached and you're really super busy you've got extracurriculars and you've got incredible amounts of work that you need to do in many cases you may have a job or student loans that you're worried about trying to pay off so the idea of actually committing emotional resources to a relationship and falling quote-unquote in love is very difficult on the other hand you know I, I always find it really remarkable that so few young people in the United States are in committed relationships in college because there are lots of people your age and it doesn't seem like it's impossible to fall in love if you just sort of left to their own devices a bunch of people with a fair amount of, of free time and proximity to each other you would think there would be more relationships but it's the very horrible neoliberalization of the university context and the stress that students are under that makes it very difficult for them. And so I, I have to say, I am really torn. I Every time I read this story, I think, okay, Kolontai is condemning Zhenya. And then I read it again, and I think, no, actually, she's sympathetic to Zhenya. And then sometimes I think, oh, okay, she's definitely condemning Olga Sergeyevna. But then I think, oh, but she's kind of a little bit sympathetic to Olga Sergeyevna because she's of that generation. Kolontai herself is in her 50s when she writes this story and, you know, she imagines herself the mother with a younger husband who might be sleeping with her daughter. Of course, Kolontai herself only ever had a son. She did not have a daughter. We have to really think very clearly about what Kolontai wanted her readers in the 1920s to get out of this story. I think she's very intentionally setting up a situation whereby most of her readers, both in the 1920s as well as in 2020, will be very upset with Zhenya. And she's using this as a device for us to think about our own attitudes towards love and sexuality. Do we have sex with people as a way of possessing them? Once we start having sex with someone, do we believe that that makes that person our property? Or do we have sex to show affection and love and what Kolontai would call comradeliness? And does that necessarily have to be so exclusive? And can it be done without any sort of formal romantic love in the way that Zhenya is sleeping with Andre? Or does 
that somehow make the act of sex immoral. Clearly, Olga Sergeyevna believes that it does. Clearly, Zhenya believes that it does not, that there's absolutely nothing wrong with enjoying your sexuality. And I think in the intervening hundred years, we've definitely, as a society, come down on the side of Zhenya on this one, right? That like women have every right to do with their sexuality as they want. And that's okay. But there's a question, I think, lingering in the air here. And it's that, is the current state of sexual relations somehow stunted or stymied because of the persistence of capitalism, because of the persistence of this never-ending work, this never-ending focus on getting things done, and of never having time for quote-unquote love. Certainly, Alexandra Kolontai's ideal was that we would live in a society with enough free time and enough resources so that we all could fall in love and enjoy wonderful, meaning, re meaningful relationships with any partner that we decided to choose, no matter what sex or gender. In many ways, I think Alexandra Kollontai was really the first true sex radical who saw the connections between our intimate sexual lives, our intimate personal connections and the greater economic base, the, the, the relations of production within which we have to realize those intimate relations and that they can interact with each other. And ultimately, Zhenya is a product of her time in the early Soviet Union of building a new society, but that Kolontai's eyes were always on the prize of a much more egalitarian, just, sustainable future where people would have the time and energy to really expand out into and enjoy human relationships in a way that I think we have yet to experience. So that's my kind of crazy stream of consciousness rant about Alexandra Kollontai's The Loves of Three Generations. Uh, happy Valentine's Day or happy Galentine's Day or happy Singles Day or whatever you celebrate on February 13th or 14th. Thank you so much for listening and keep up the good fighting.